Well, good morning, church. Glad you are here this morning. Can I get these side lights on? Whoever's running the side back there so I can see a little bit better, that'd be great. Uh, we're glad you're here this morning. We are uh, obviously going through the book of John. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 8. We're going to be there this morning. And as we've kind of looked at the last few weeks, um, we've kind of noticed that over the last several moments and weeks and conversations that Jesus really has been just kind of making different claims about himself. He's made claims that he is God, that he's made claims that he is the sole provider, that he is the only way to fully and finally satisfy the desires of our soul. I mean, he's made all these claims. But what we have noticed toward the last few weeks is this, is that, that after making all these claims, there's a few people that believe in him. There's a lot of people that are skeptical of him. And then there's some people that are absolutely like, no way, we don't buy what do you have to say? And because there's not just skeptics around Jesus, there's those that, that don't buy it. In fact, it wasn't just the Jews of the day. If you remember from last week, it was his brothers too, right? Even his own brothers, his half-brothers go, we don't know that we believe you are who you say you are. And so there's all this unrest in Jerusalem. There's all this hostility toward Jesus among the skeptics and those that quite frankly don't even believe he is who he claimed to be. But what I love about Jesus is this, that Jesus in the face of all this hostility and the face of all this animosity, he just continues to plow forward, reminding people and reiterating the claims of who he is. And he does it by offering full transparency. He says, listen, if you're worried about who I am, here's the source of all my teaching. If you're worried about here I am, who I am, you can be sure that I am who I claim to be. Take what I say and compare it to scripture of the Old Testament. And you just make sure, I mean, you just do your own research. And you would think that for the, the intellects of the day, they'd go, okay, let me do that. And they would come back going, hey, you've proven to be who you claim to be. We're on board. But that's not what happens. In fact, last week we ended in verse 24, and if you picked up in verse 25 and read through the end of chapter 7, which we're not going to read today, you can read it on your own, here's what you would find out. That the unrest just continues. That people are still undetermined and undecided and uncertain who Jesus is. There's that handful that goes, oh, no, 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 we believe him. There's a handful that goes, hey, no, 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 we're not sure about him. And then there's another large portion of people going, we just don't believe. In fact, if you read that passage of Scripture, you're going to find out that even the Jewish leaders send some guards to arrest Jesus during this time. And when they come back, they say, hey, why didn't you arrest him? And here's, here was their answer. There's nobody that teaches the way he teaches. There's something about him. And we just couldn't do it. Why? Because Jesus just told them over and over again, I'm, I'm the bread of life, I, I'm, the, I'm water. And so he tells them finally, at the end of this Feast of Booths, he says, listen, if you never want to thirst again, if you never want to hunger again, you can find what you're looking for in me. And even the guards are like, we couldn't arrest that guy. And so we end the story there with this great deal of unrest that is happening in Jerusalem. 
And then we're going to see something today. We're going to see something about Jesus today that I love. We're going to see the heart of compassion that Jesus has. Because listen, if you weren't on team Jesus before today's passage, you were definitely not going to be on team Jesus after this passage. Because for those that were skeptical and for those who did not believe, Jesus is about to do something that's going to blow their mind. He's going to show compassion to a woman that nobody thought you should show compassion to. And he's going to flip the script upside down. And we're going to see how they respond to it. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. I know it's a familiar passage, but I am going to ask you, because we don't get to do this often, let's stand together in honor of reading God's Word. It says this, verse 1, But Jesus went on to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded to stone such a woman, so what do you say? Can you see the unbelievable pure motives they have right there, right? Look at verse 6. They said this to test him that they might have some charges to bring against him. So Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And listen to this. And he said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Let's pray. God, we love you. This is such a beautiful passage, Lord. I think we're going to be able to see compassion maybe we've never seen before in this story. May you soften our hearts to the truth of this. May, Lord, we navigate this story and may you tenderize our spirits to the truth of what we're going to learn through this. May we look at this story, Lord, and ask honest questions about who do we most identify with. And God, I just pray today from the beginning of this message that you would wreck us of our stubbornness. You would wreck us of our pride. You would wreck us of that attitude and heartbeat that has a condemning spirit. And may we leave here today with the same heart of Jesus, the heart of compassion. God, we need you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I want to start with a sidebar. Uh, if you're reading from the King James Version of the Bible... Your translation doesn't have what I'm about to say, but if you're reading any newer modern translation, it's going to say this above chapter 8. It says this, the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 7, verse 53 through 8, 
verse 11. So I want to say that because if you have your Bibles open, which I hope you do, you're wondering, okay, Pastor Doug, what does this mean? Well, there are some debates among scholars, and listen, these scholars are way smarter than I am, so we're not going to jump into the weeds too much, but there's some debate among scholars whether this passage of Scripture is authentic or not. Many and most scholars believe that it's a real story that happened, that they all agree that this was a story that that obviously uh, leans itself toward maintaining the character that we've seen Jesus live with. So it doesn't say anything contrary to the person or the work of Christ, but there's just some debate. Some say, no, it seems to interrupt this feast of booze that are going on. We've got this feast where Jesus said, hey, I, I am the bread of life and I've come that, that I'm offering living water. And all of a sudden there's an interruption. And then next week we'll talk about him saying, I'm the light of the world. And so there's all this debate that goes around. But let me just tell you kind of where Pastor Doug lands on this. I believe this is divinely scripture. Okay, I believe it's divinely scripture, and we are going to treat it as such. And here's why. Because this story matches everything we've been learning about Jesus, doesn't it? This story matches the character and the qualities that we've been seeing in the person of Christ. And so this story, whether it belonged here or in Luke, to me is irrelevant. This story teaches us something that is so true about our King Jesus. So we are going to treat it as such this morning. So let's jump right into it. It says this in verse 1. But Jesus went into the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came back again to the temple, and the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught. Now, have you noticed the last few weeks that everywhere Jesus goes, there's opportunities for him to teach pockets of people? Like, you know, last week, the, the brothers would say, hey, Jesus, why don't you go ahead and go to the Feast of Booze? And when you go there, you know, go in great fanfare and let everybody know you've shown up. And, and Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to do that because my time's not come. Because he understood if I go with all this fanfare, the clock is ticking to the cross and the timing is not yet. But Jesus does show up, but he doesn't come in a public fanfare. He comes in private. And even when he shows up there, what's the first thing Jesus does? He teaches. He teaches. And he tells them the source of his teaching. He tells them how they can be sure that he's teaching truth. And so obviously he's left the city and he comes back on this day. And he begins to teach again. And look what happens in verse 3. It says this, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Pause. We know what that means, right? Okay, we know what that means, right? We know what that means. Okay, as you're like, I don't, know, I don't know, maybe we ought to talk about it. No, I mean, we know what that means, right? And the phrase caught in the act of adultery is a really important phrase. That means she was literally pulled out of the bed of adultery. Literally while the act's going on, these eyewitnesses go and they pull her out of the bed and they bring her to Jesus. I mean, can you, this is for a moment, but forget the sin side for a moment. Can you imagine how this woman must have felt? Can you imagine how exposed she must have been? Not only physically, but spiritually and mentally. Can you imagine how afraid she must have been? Can you imagine what this woman would have gone through? And so they catch this woman and the act of adultery, which by the way means something. You ready? It means there were some peeping Tom somewhere, wasn't there? Come on, am I right? There were some people seeing some things they shouldn't have seen. And they grab this woman and they bring her exposed filled with shame and afraid, and they put her in front of Jesus. And look what he says next, verse 5. Look what it says. They say to him, Now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. 
So what do you say? Now, they're not just talking about punishment. What are they talking about? Death. So this is not a slap on the wrist. This is not a chastisement that's going to happen. This is literally, we're talking about death here. Now, what we need to realize is that death and and breaking of sin was big because adultery is sin. Can we all say amen to that one? Adultery is sin. I mean, it is a sin against the person you're committing it with. It's a sin against the spouses who are not involved in it. It's it's a sin against the institution that God has ordained called marriage. But it is a sin against God. Adultery is a sin. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, she sinned. And the law of Moses tells us that if you sin in this way, we are to stone, we're to put them to death and stone her. So this, this sin, listen, this sin had a max penalty. <clears throat> and that max penalty was capital punishment. We're going to stone her to death. Now, what we can learn from that is this truth. That the breaking of the seventh commandment was a grievous sin, right? And I can imagine as they brought this woman to Jesus, exposed, naked, afraid, shameful, all those kinds of things, I can imagine they're already beginning to pick up the stones. And they approach. Now, just real quick pause. When I read the story, there's something that jumps out at me. You know what it is? Something's missing here. Does anybody know what's missing here? The man. That's right. You're so smart. The man is missing. Now you're like, oh, it's just because they're sexist. No, 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 no. Leviticus chapter 20, go back and read it, says when a person, a man and a woman are caught in the act of adultery, are, are found to be in adultery, the man and the woman both are to be brought and both are to be disciplined and both are to be put to death. I don't read about a man here, do you? The man's not there. So why did they bring this lady to Jesus? Now hear me. It 100% wasn't because they wanted justice. Right? If they wanted justice, who else would they have brought? They would have brought the man with her. And so they come and they bring this woman, not the man, and they look to Jesus and they want to take Jesus. Jesus, what is your take? <clears throat> what is your take on this situation? I don't know about you. I love people. I love conversations with people. But I hate ever being backed into a corner. Anybody else like that one? Man, don't back me into a corner because I don't know what response you're going to get from me, right? I don't know if it's fight or flight. I'm not really sure. And so they have backed Jesus into a corner. Now, real quick, is this uncommon for that to happen? No, it's not uncommon. In fact, you remember when they came to Jesus in Matthew's gospel and the Luke's gospel, and they said, tell us which is the greatest commandment? Because if he picks one, that means he thinks the other ones are inferior to the one he picks. And what does Jesus say? He gives, here's the greatest commandment. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the commandments can be wrapped up into that one phrase. Jesus was brilliant with his responses. But here, once again, we see him backed into a corner during the last year of his life. And like, Jesus, here's a woman caught in the act of adultery. What do you think? What do you think? Look at verse 6. They said this to test him. They might have some charges to bring against him. 
And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Why did they bring the woman to Jesus? To back him into a corner. Because if he doesn't say what's right, we've got charges. Here's what I mean. If he says, don't stone her, you're breaking the Mosaic law, and there's no way you can be the Messiah. So if you say, don't stone her, you're breaking the law, Jesus, and there's no way you can be the Messiah you've claimed to be. But if you do say, go ahead and stone her, now you're breaking Roman law because you're a rabbi and rabbis don't have that kind of authority. And also you're telling her that you have no compassion for sinners. Are you tracking with me this morning? So if you say, stone her, you're breaking the law. If you say, don't stone her, you're breaking the law. What are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do? Now, I love this question because it's something even our Heavenly Father has dealt with. Here's what I mean. If God, our Heavenly Father, chooses or chose not to judge sin, he would cease to be just and holy. Amen? Amen? Amen. And yet, if he refused to show love and forgiveness, he would cease to be a loving God. Amen? So the question becomes, where does justice and mercy meet for him? Do you know where it met for our Heavenly Father? By putting his son on a cross. Right? Because by Jesus dying on the cross, sin was paid for. And because Jesus died on the cross, the love of God was demonstrated so that we could put our faith in him and have eternal life. Where did mercy and where did justice meet for our Heavenly Father? It met at the cross. And Jesus faced with the same dilemma. Where does justice and mercy meet for him? Where is this notion of, no, don't stone her, but yeah, she deserves to be stoned. Where does that meet? So when we look at the story, what we know is that Jesus is keenly aware of their, of their conspiracy. And here's why he's keenly aware. In law, you never took a woman caught, or a man caught in the act of adultery and took them to a rabbi. You always took them to the Sanhedrin. So the fact they stopped with Jesus and said, what do you think? They are themselves breaking the law. And so how does Jesus initially respond to the question? What does he do? Come on, what does he do? He gets down and starts writing on the ground. Now I know you're like, okay, what did he write? We don't know. Some people speculate he was writing the sins of the accusers. Some speculate that, that he, was just, he was writing scripture, reminding them about the love of God and the grace of God. Probably the one that I feel like is the most palatable one is the one that he said that, that he was, maybe is writing down what it says in Jeremiah chapter 17 where it says that there will be a day when those that were f with God who become far from God, that their names will be written in the ground. Maybe he's writing the name of the accusers who are guilty of the same sin. We don't know. But there's a pause that goes on here. And then look what happens next. Verse 7. And as they continue to ask him, in other words, come on, Jesus, what do you think? It says, he stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, did he answer the question? Come on, did he answer the question? No. He didn't answer the question. 
He shed light on their situation. Now, let me tell you what this means. When he says, you without sin, let you cast the first stone. Here's what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that we should never talk about sin, that you have to be perfect to talk about sin. He's not saying that. He's not saying that you've got to be perfect to manage and to deal with sin. He's not saying that because, listen, as a believer, we are to call out sin in our lives. We're to call out sin in the lives of people that we love and care about. Because, so it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect to call out or to talk about sin. That's not what he's saying. Here's what he is saying. If you want to throw the rock of condemnation and you want to be judge and jury, you better be perfect for that one. Right? You don't have to be perfect to talk about sin. You don't have to be perfect to call out sin because we all sin. Amen? Amen? We all sin. All of us sin. But if you want to be judge and jury and you want to throw the rock of condemnation, you better be perfect. Now, this phrase here in the Greek is such a unique phrase. He's without sin. Let him cast the first stone. The implication of this phrase is bigger than just what he says here. He's literally saying, you without sin in this instance or in this area, you cast the first stone. In other words, if you've never wrestled with lust and you're perfect, chunk it. That's Doug's translation. Chunk it. Just, just launch the thing. So if, you are, if you're free from the sin of lust and you've never had lust, you've never lusted before, and you're perfect in that area, go ahead. So he says, if you, if you are without sin in this area or this instance. Now this is interesting. See, Jesus knew the law better than they knew the law. He knew this. That when a person uh, was, was the, the person that came ready to throw stones, the, do you know who threw the stones first? It was the eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses got to throw the stones first. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus also knew that those people that brought her to him, they saw things they shouldn't see. They saw more than they should have saw. He also knows that there's a really good chance when you see more than you should see and more than you should ever have seen, that it can create something in you and that maybe themselves even lusted by what they saw in front of them. So Jesus says, if you are free from sin in this instance, you've not lusted. When you, when you grabbed her out of the bed, if you didn't have lust in your heart or you've never lusted before, go ahead and throw the first stone. Go, go after it. Now that's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Because there'll be some of you in this room, because I know some of you rascals, some of you be like, I'm going to chunk this bad boy, I'm going to let her have it, right? But this was a revealing moment for all those there. All these Pharisees, all these scribes, these religious leaders, and Jesus just looks at them and says, listen, if you're free from sin in this area, and you're free from sin in this instance as eyewitnesses, and you want to throw the rock of condemnation you better be perfect. So have at it. Now, that kind of should be an ouch to our soul, shouldn't it? I don't know about you, but sometimes I like being judge and jury over somebody else's sin, don't you? Come on, come on. If you don't say amen, just smile. I know who I'm talking to. You know what I'm talking about, right? And this is an ouch, isn't it? Look what happens next, verse 8. I love this. At once, he bent down again and began to write on the ground. Uh, once again, what's he writing? We don't know. May, I choose to believe that maybe he's writing the names of those who want to throw stones who've also sinned in this way. 
Verse 9. But when they heard it, what he said, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus left alone with the woman standing before him. Now think about being the woman for a moment. You've been thrown in front of Jesus, a complete spectacle. Most scholars would say she probably wasn't even clothed. We don't know that, but, but totally exposed in front of people. Whether it was physical or just uh, the mental and emotional side. She was exposed. And these people have gathered stones, and they're, they're like created this line, and they're probably ready to start throwing them. And Jesus challenges them going, are you perfect in your life? Is your sin, you know, so, you're so removed from sin, and you're so perfect that you can stand in the place of judge and jury? If not, don't throw it. But if you are, have that. And I would love to have a soundtrack of that moment of hearing the rocks begin to fall. And they walked away. And it's just Jesus and the woman. Now, if you're the woman, are you intimidated by Jesus? Come on, would you be intimidated by Jesus? I would. He just spoke fire to Pharisees and scribes, and they walked away. And look what happens next. This is the the pinnacle of the story. And Jesus stood up and said to the woman, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she says, No one, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go on now on and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Well, wait a minute. Jesus is perfect, right? Come on, Jesus is perfect, right? So if there's anybody that's qualified to condemn her, it would have been him, right? And he says, I don't condemn you. What does that say about Jesus? It says that he would rather forgive and restore than to judge and condemn, right? That's what it means. He would rather restore us and, and forgive us than condemn us and judge us. Now, because he didn't condemn her, does that mean he condoned sin? No, because he calls it sin. He said, go and sin no more. So he calls it sin, but he tells her, here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to condemn you. But I want you to leave the life of sin that you're living. Now, what is he asking her to do? I'm asking you to repent. I'm asking you to turn from the life of sin and to go and sin no more. Now, was she going to sin again? Yes, that's not his point. His point was, I want you to walk away from a life of adultery and start living a life for me. I want you to turn from where you're going. And turn into a new direction. Now, why would Jesus tell her that? That is, that, is, that is so captivates me. Why would he tell her that? Because he wanted her to know that your life, listen, your life is not beyond repair. Did you hear me this morning? Your life is not beyond repair. And so when I read this story, here's what I see. I see the incredible compassion of Jesus. A couple years ago, a couple years ago, I defined compassion. And if you don't have this definition, please write it down because I think it's a definition that will change the way you read Scripture. And it's this. It's compassion is when empathy and sympathy lead to activity. Here's what I mean. Empathy is I've been where you're at. I feel your pain. 
Do you think Jesus ever felt his pain? Do you think Jesus was ever a spectacle in front of people? Do you think Jesus ever felt exposed by the words and the attitudes and the actions of other people? Yes. How about the cross? Was that pretty exposed? So he can empathize with her. But sympathy is, hey, my heart breaks for what you're going through. And because I can relate to you, and because my heart breaks with what you're going through, I choose to do something about it. Listen to me, church. When you have empathy and sympathy, but you don't do anything about it, that's not compassion. Did you hear me on that? Only when sympathy and empathy lead to activity is that compassion. And Jesus had compassion for the woman. He's like, man, I get it. I'm hurting for you. I break for you. But I choose to forgive you and to give you a future because your life is not beyond repair. Isn't it incredible to know that's how God loves us too? That God is willing to call out our sin, but he's also willing to remind us that we are not beyond repair. And if we're going to be loved that way, shouldn't we love other people that way? Come on, church, should we love other people that way? Sure we should. So as I close, here's something I want you to think about today. Which character or characters in this story can you best identify with this morning spiritually? Maybe you feel like, if you were honest, you could identify with the religious leaders, and you feel like sometimes you're carrying the rock of condemnation around with you. You feel like you walk around sometimes and you're judge and you're jury and you don't consider their stories. You don't consider what they've done. You are not really willing to show forgiveness and and compassion. You just are carrying this rock of condemnation around, waiting for the right moment to chunk it at somebody. And maybe we need to realize, listen, all people are broken. And maybe this morning, if you feel like that's you, you need to drop the rock of condemnation and realize people are not beyond repair. Yeah, people are messy. People are difficult. People, my dad would say, are ornery. We know that, right? But they're not beyond repair. Can I tell you something else? You're broken too. And you're not beyond repair. So if you feel like you can identify with with these religious leaders, and you feel like you've been carried around this rock of condemnation, I challenge you this morning, would you just metaphorically just drop it and give it to the Lord? Say, Lord, I don't want to be that guy anymore. I don't want to be that lady anymore. I don't want to be that person who tries to be judge and jury. I want to be a person who's compassionate. Maybe you feel not like the religious leaders. Maybe you feel like the woman. You've done some stuff. You've seen some things. You've experienced some things. And maybe you sit here this morning, you're like, you know what, Doug? I feel like my life is beyond repair. What in the world could God do with me? And the answer is more than you could ever imagine. You look at the honorary, pathetic characters of Scripture, and they changed the world. What can he do in your life? So I don't care what you feel this morning. Listen, what, you, what truth should always trump feeling. And what, no matter what you're feeling this morning, here's the truth. You are never, everybody say you're never. never. Say you're never. never. You are never beyond repair. Never beyond. never beyond repair. Maybe you feel like the woman. Or lastly, hopefully, maybe you can identify with Jesus. There's some of you, I know you. Man, you've got a heart of compassion that makes me nauseated sometimes. Because I don't. 
And maybe you can empathize and sympathize like nobody else. Would you just ask God to keep that fresh in your life? And that you would continue to show compassion to people? Because ultimately, listen, which one do we want to be out of the story? Who do we want to be most like? Jesus, right? I mean, was condemning this woman going to change her eternity? No. Was forgiving her, showing her grace, and giving her a new future going to change her eternity? Yes. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, if you're that one holding the rock of condemnation, would you just let it go this morning? If you feel like that woman and you feel like your life is beyond repair, I want to tell you it is not. Would you let Jesus do a work in your life? And if you have any desire in your heart this morning to be more like Christ, let this be an area, an area of compassion where you let empathy and sympathy lead to activity. Let's all stand together for it. Everybody stand with me if you would. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Let's stand.